You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve, and I host the show each week where we get into the mechanics of the political system here in the United States. So let's start it off. And uh, before I get into the numbers, um, as I record this show uh, prior to its airing, uh, it's Sunday, and Hurricane Ida is bearing down on the Gulf Coast. So I don't know at, at the point of this recording how this is going to turn out for the residents down there. But I hope that uh, everyone took heed of the warnings and that you all came through the storm safely and uh, all things that are important, which is, you know, your lives, the lives of your loved ones and so forth um, are are protected, safe and sound. Uh, That being said, let's do our numbers as we do every week uh, with regard to covid and we're at 38.8 million cases that have been reported since the start of the outbreak. Uh, 637.2 thousand people have died and a total of 366 million doses of the vaccine have been administered, uh, including uh, 61% of the population that has received at least one dose. And that's the population here, the adult population in the United States. So in addition, in related news, the Pfizer uh, vaccine has received FDA approval for use. As of the recording of this show, we are still awaiting for word on approval for the Moderna version of the vaccine and also the Johnson & Johnson version. But right now, the Pfizer is fully approved by the FDA, and hopefully that will work to uh, increase the the take rate among the population for getting uh, the vaccine and you know we are making progress as i said 61 percent of the adult population in the country has received at least one dose of the vaccine and and that's a good thing however you know and we're going to talk about this uh, in this segment uh, the delta variant of the vaccine which has shown to be a little bit resistant to the um, to the vaccine, uh, the Delta version of the virus, rather, um, and you know is causing a a spike in cases in many areas, particularly uh, in the South and among those population centers and areas where the vaccine and vaccination rate uh, has been low. Uh, right now, uh, hospitals are reporting uh, all around the country of you know max out conditions in terms of the number of ICU beds and that you know 99.8% of the patients who are in ICU and you know on ventilators are people who were unvaccinated and you know obviously didn't follow the the medical and scientific guidance of mask wearing etc and um, we're going to we're going to dig into that aspect of it uh, in this segment of the show. Um, as you probably heard before the show launched, um, WJMS played its uh, disclaimer, which I requested um, 
specifically to air before this show because truth be told I'm uh, gonna step on some toes with this episode um, but again just to remind you the views and opinions expressed are those of the show and its host uh, and do not re necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WJMSRadio.com LLC and its you know various uh, owners employees and other show hosts so that being said as I said um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a little controversy to you all this week um, we're gonna talk about uh, freedoms choices consequences and the general good uh, you know particularly where it relates to you know COVID-19 but just also in general with things that we have seen um, that have become sort of commonplace in in our society over the last uh, four or five years or so um, you know so we're gonna start and, and talk a little bit about freedoms now in this country we have a wide range of uh, things that we are free to do under under the laws of the United States and and of states and communities and so forth now these freedoms uh, are not you know absolute and infinite there are restrictions that you know these freedoms do include uh, you we are free under the First Amendment to gather uh, in public places and seek redress from our government for grievances uh, but that freedom does not give us the freedom to you know go around and set buildings on fire or to break into government facilities uh, or to conduct other things that are are clearly illegal without consequences and we'll talk about those in a second um, we are we are free in this country to choose whether or not we are going to get vaccinated against COVID we are also free in this country to choose whether or not we are going to wear a mask when it is in our best interest or conducive to do so uh, you've heard you know this this point issued from you know the medical and scientific communities a lot over the last you know two years as the coronavirus has spread across this country um, and you've heard the counter arguments that you know I I don't have to wear a mask I'm free not to wear a mask yes you absolutely are free not to wear a mask if you so choose you are also absolutely free not to get vaccinated if you so choose that is your choice uh, and it falls into you know the same kind of choices we have in other areas we are free to choose to purchase you know a an automobile whether it's a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, you know, a, a, a Dodge SRT or a Hellcat or Mustang 5.0, uh, we are free to purchase a car that can that can drive, you know, up to and in excess of 200 miles an hour. However, society has recognized that there are overriding issues of public safety and you know uh, other elements that have led us to mandate that we set limits as to how fast we can drive on our roads or how fast we can drive on our highways so while you are free to choose you know how fast you want to drive uh, your car uh, that does not 
you know, absolve you of the consequences when such action can cause, you know, harm or damage uh, to someone else. The same way you are free to go out on, you know, a Friday, Saturday night or any night of the week, uh, go to a bar, go to a restaurant and have drinks and get, you know, as inebriated as you want to get. But when you take that condition and put it behind the wheel of a car, now the, 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 the rules, the laws of this, this uh, country impose some restrictions. And, you know, if you disobey those restrictions and, you know, drive, you run the risk of, you know, having consequences of your actions, you know, including damage, uh, you know, injury. And, you know, as we see, you know, too many times uh, a day in this country, uh, death. So when we have, you know, freedom of choice, we also have to weigh in that that choice uh, may come with consequences or will come with consequences. And a lot of times there are uh, restrictions on our freedoms, restrictions on the, the choices we can make that serve what is known as the greater good, that it is in the, the best interest of public safety uh, that you know, you you don't drive your car at 90 miles an hour down the main street of your town or that you don't uh, go into a movie theater uh, crowded with people and shout fire or that you you don't, um, you know, actively go out uh, into public where it is not allowed by law and brandish, you know, a weapon, even though the Second Amendment you know, guarantees the right of citizens to legitimately own firearms in this country. It does not give you a right to carry that firearm into uh, areas or, or communities or whatever where it is not allowed because it is a threat to public safety or the greater good. Now, what we are seeing in and what we are hearing from people is this notion that they have a right not to wear their mask and you know to be specific you have a choice whether or not you're going to wear a mask you have a choice whether or not you are going to get a vaccine uh, it is not a right because those things are not mandated under the laws of this country now there are certain uh, scenarios where you know, governing bodies, you know, at the federal, state and local level have put in, you know, requirements that a mask be worn, um, you know, and given the spread of the Delta variant that we're seeing, some of those restrictions are are coming back into place, you know, as we speak. But again, it is not a a right that is enforceable by law. It is a mandate that is, you know, put in place by local authorities that also includes consequences uh, for not complying with that. Uh, you know, you now are required when you get on an airplane that you will wear a mask at all times. If you choose not to, you have a consequence of, you know, being removed from that flight or arrested uh, upon when the the flight lands uh, because you broke uh, that that protocol. The same way I saw an article the other day or a video the other day 
of you know a, a woman who was on a flight and lit a cigarette while she was still you know in the plane uh, the plane was still you know in motion I believe it was taxiing to the gate and you know got wholly bent out of shape when she was escorted off the plane and placed under arrest well you know the the rules that were set in place to promote the greater good that is smoking cigarettes inside a closed airplane uh, is a health risk to every other passenger uh, society accepted those rules to be put in place we said yes we agree with the the right that airline companies have to set the environmental standards within their aircraft uh, and that these include that you cannot smoke uh, while you are you are on an airplane and in fact you can't smoke pretty much anywhere inside an airport terminal except uh, in designated areas uh, we accept these um, these restrictions on our freedoms of choice uh, as a matter of balancing our needs against the needs of the greater good and what we are seeing is a lot of people out there particularly um, people you know on the the right side of the political spectrum and I, by that I mean the conservative right side of the political spectrum in uh, spectrum not the right side of the room um, where they are they are you know trying to push back against this saying that by enforcing these rules that we are putting in place to protect the greater good to protect the general public and you know the general welfare that they are infringing on their rights well they are they are actually running up against your choices uh, you have the right to make that choice just as they have the right to impose consequences for those that don't and in my opinion this is one of the fundamental conundrums we have with the coronavirus pandemic in this country uh, we are torn between the want of you know enforcing some type of controls that will help you know ease the effect of this pandemic reduce the number of people that get sick reduce the number of people that die but we are not so ready to eliminate you know a a a right of choice uh, unnecessarily perhaps or you know it just uh, out of some knee-jerk reaction um, there is you know and there has been precedent in this country for a more strict uh, approach to this one needs to look only back into the early and mid 80s at the height of the uh, HIV AIDS pandemic to see where the the action of knowingly having the disease and transmitting it to another person was actually prosecuted as a crime uh, of assault uh, or even attempted murder or you know manslaughter um, in in some cases when someone who had HIV and knew of it uh, knowingly infected someone else uh, you know that was a very difficult time in our history but it is one that we can learn some lessons from that you know, when the greater good uh, is in serious jeopardy from the, uh, in my opinion, selfish actions 
of some of the population in terms of putting others at risk because they choose not to to make a a choice that would have benefit to the overall public health vis-a-vis -vis, you know not wearing a mask or not being um, uh, vaccinated and spreading the disease to others that you know this should carry some some form of penalties now you know we we may uh, yet come to the point where such penalties may be imposed um, however there are some things that are not governmentally related that could be put in place and and in fact uh, probably should be put in place one of the things you know if I go back to the example of you know driving your car at 175 miles an hour down the highway and you get into an accident um, you know the the consequences to you are likely to be you know a a severe uh, impact on your ability to operate a motor vehicle going forward uh, you may lose your license to drive for you know a period of time or for good or uh, more likely your insurance company is going to assess economic penalties on you uh, for your um, for your acts of unsafe behavior and you know force you to pay you know much more than the norm for insurance in order to cover your right to drive a vehicle and there has been discussion that perhaps people who are avowed anti-vax anti-mask uh, who do get uh, COVID-19 uh, disease and do require hospitalization that they be in fact you know subject to economic penalties uh, for their actions and you know not sure whether or not that's that's going to come into place but I think it is you know there's precedent for it and I think it is something that should be considered if you are you know deliberately or or intentionally better word uh, if you are intentionally um, not wearing a mask or you know for uh, just your choice reasons you know choose not to get a vaccine and you decide to go to a political rally with 50,000 other people also unmasked and and largely unvaccinated and spend you know nine or ten hours in that crowd or you go to you know a a an event a motorcycle rally uh, which we'll talk about in a minute uh, and are there with you know uh, 500 or 600,000 people also largely not masked and not vaccinated and you contract COVID-19 and infect other people as well as you know incur the added cost of you know the hospitalization and so forth then you know there should be uh, some form of you know economic uh, or other consequences that you face and that's that's how you know I feel about it I think um, that people who choose not to get vaccinated or choose not to get or not to wear a mask uh, who don't have you know an, an underlying medical or religious reason for not doing so uh, really should bear some uh, burden of responsibility on the outcome uh, one of the things I saw and we'll, we'll transition uh, into uh, the next part of this that I want to talk about 
is I, I went into the search engines and I looked up how many people have died waiting for an ICU bed uh, that wasn't available because of the current surge in COVID-19 cases. And, you know, the, the number in the, the search that came back of articles just talking about single individuals was in the hundreds, the high hundreds of articles from across the country of people, you know, who needed life-saving medical care, who needed access to an intensive care unit bed and or a ventilator, and there were none available. Um, one case that, that really kind of sparked this, this whole dialogue uh, within me was an, a uh, military veteran who'd served you know, two terms or two tours in Afghanistan, um, got a, a COVID-related uh, disease that required a relatively minor 30-minute surgery, which, because there were no ICU beds available where he lived and in the nearby areas, ha they had to search, you know, across several different states, finally finding a, a, the availability of someone who could treat him at a VA hospital in Texas, but there were no beds available, so it was necessary for him to wait uh, while sick with his condition uh, until a bed became available. Well, you know, in that waiting, he uh, actually succumbed to his illness and died. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I, I think, you know, that's not fair. If there are people out there, and there are, who need life-saving surgeries that will require an ICU bed or a ventilator, and there are none available, and, you know, these people die as a result of these diseases, I think there should be some consequences that, that get attributed to that. Um, by the, the same token, you know, it's, it, it is people who, for, you know, whatever reason, have the, the, quote, privilege, close quote, to be able to get, you know, some of the advanced uh, care treatments for COVID-19, such as Regeneron, the monoclonal antibody treatment, um, you know, that also comes with a consequence. That treatment costs, uh, on average, about uh, $1,250 per dosage uh, that is administered, whereas the COVID-19 vaccine costs $20. So, you know, do the math. If you have one person who gets, you know, one dosage of that Regeneron, and both of these, by the way, are paid for by the federal government, um, that takes uh, money away from 63 other people who could be vaccinated uh, for that same amount of money. So, you know, as I said, the level of uh, what would appear to me to be selfishness with regard to uh, people who, you know, choose not to follow the best health guidelines, uh, people who listen to uh, a group of supposed doctors uh, who, who stood on the steps of the uh, Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C. a few weeks back and talked about um, not only the, the, the support they had for hydroxychloroquine, which was proven not to be uh, in, in many ways, anyway, affected, effective uh, against COVID, and also 
uh, are, are talking about this uh, animal medication uh, called ivermectin, which has been widely disproved to have any um, real effect on COVID-19, although it is used in humans to treat other diseases in a diluted form. What is going on now is that people are, are going out after prescriptions for the animal version of this drug, which is uh, sold in doses uh, appropriate for livestock, such as cattle and, and sheep, and uh, they are, they are self-medicating themselves with this, and we're seeing cases of poisoning, um, you know, severe kidney and liver uh, illnesses, and, you know, even death related to this medication, all because, you know, some, you know, dubious sources on the internet have touted, you know, this as a cure for COVID. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just like we always say with everything else here, you've got to, you know, do your diligence, do your fact finding, uh, look for reputable sources. If you're looking, you know, for some type of medical treatment for an illness, you know, whether it's COVID or anything else, go to the rep reputable medical sources, you know, go to the Centers for Disease Control, go to the World Health Organization, uh, go to your local, you know, pharmacy, talk to your doctor, uh, get the truth, get the facts from as many sources as you can uh, to help you make an informed decision about how you might treat yourself for an illness. Um, but again, you know, there's a, there's a desperation to, to find a hope and a cure for this pandemic. Um, but it raises the question, if you're going to go listen to, you know, something you read on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or, you know, one of the social media platforms, and you're going to take these, you know, unsubstantiated, largely uh, claims, why won't you give equal attention to the reputable agencies that have been combating illness and disease, you know, for, for decades, if not longer, uh, and, you know, are, are promoting a, a tested and more trusted treatment? Uh, you know, it, it just, uh, I just don't get it. Um, you know, but as I said, um, find myself losing patience with those individuals. And, you know, I, I don't wish anyone to get sick with COVID. Um, please trust and believe that. Um, that is not my objective. But I do get kind of, of uh, impatient with those people who, you know, spent, you know, the last two years standing on a soapbox shouting to the winds how they are not going to get vaccinated, not going to wear their mask, how they have this change of heart when they're lying in an ICU bed uh, on an incubator, uh, perhaps, you know, looking at the, the possibility, the real possibility of dying or, you know, the possibility of, you know, the long-term COVID uh, disease. And that's something that also isn't talked about a whole lot. Uh, if you get COVID and survive it, uh, you're not done. COVID can attack and, and have long-term 
uh, medical effects on your body for years. And, you know, it, it is something that, I, again, I just don't get how something that is, you know, treatable and, you know, largely can be prevented or, or at worst, minimized to a, a near zero level just through, you know, a simple vaccine or the act of wearing, you know, a mask and socially distancing when it's appropriate to do so. Um, so, you know, as I said, I, I may have stepped on some toes with this segment, but, you know, frankly, uh, y'all need to stop being uh, selfish and, and self-centered and think about the, the bigger picture, the broader society. Uh, realize that your choices have consequences and that sometimes you have to weigh those consequences against the greater good. So we'll, we'll take our break here. When we come back on the other side, uh, I want to briefly talk about what, is, what we've learned um, out of the Sturgis motorcycle rally uh, that, that wrapped up two weeks ago in South Dakota. And we're also going to go into the political realm and talk about numbers that are coming out of the census uh, as more and more information becomes available. So we'll take our break here. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined, and we'll be right back. Hi, folks. It's Steve from Fired Up. As you know, on this show, we spend a lot of time talking about COVID-19 and the effects it's having on our country, on our community, and on our families. I wanted to give you a couple of public service announcements that came from the University of California at San Francisco. The first is from Dr. Star Knight, uh, who is a, an MD at uh, the University of California at San Francisco. And the second is from Jonathan Butler, PhD, also from the University of California at San Francisco. Please take a moment and listen to these two important messages. And again, consider carefully uh, about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, this is a public service announcement from us here at Fire It Up and from your friends at WJMSRadio.com. I first got the vaccine, number one, as obviously to protect myself, but, but honestly to protect my family. I've had direct discussions after getting the vaccine with members of my own family, and I, I think in general there was just kind of overall skepticism, especially in the black community, but in black and brown communities alike. Uh, there's, uh, his, there are historic health inequities, and so there are reasonable concerns from members of those communities. And that's a community that I belong to as well, and that's why I had to inform myself and look at the data myself. The data was very reassuring, and one thing for me as a Black American was seeing how diverse the patient population was in each trial and, and feeling comfortable with that as well. There is lots of misinformation in the media, and it's hard to combat that. And so I would go with trusted sources, medical professionals, people in your community, people in your family, ask about their experiences and get familiar. I first heard about the COVID vaccine. I was a little bit uneasy. Um, I didn't know much about it. Didn't know whether or not it was safe or effective. So I did a little bit of my research. Uh, I realized that it was safe. It was effective, and then the side effects were very minimum. Everyone has a choice to take the vaccine, and if you don't feel comfortable now, it's okay. 
One thing that is important about the vaccine is the vaccine is for us. African-Americans who have higher rates of dying from COVID-19, the vaccine can actually save our lives. Not only save your life, but save the life of your family members. And so when people have a hesitation around taking the vaccine, again, you should consider what are the benefits of me taking the vaccine versus the risk of me getting or having long-term effects of actually getting COVID. And once you consider that, once you've talked with your doctor, then make a decision of whether or not it's okay to do it now. And we're back. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve, and I host the show each week. And we're going to get back into the second part of our show today. Uh, Again, our thoughts and, and prayers go out to the people down in the Gulf Coast who have been impacted by the hurricane that uh, occurred over the weekend and into today. Uh, We hope everybody down there is well. So let's pick it up. Um, I mentioned in the first segment where we talked about the bike rally that happened in Sturgis, South Dakota. Uh, And a couple of weeks ago, I brought it up uh, saying how uh, we would need to wait to see what the impact in terms of uh, COVID-19 would be in the aftermath of uh, this rally. Uh, where you know, in excess of a half a million people uh, showed up uh, celebrating you know, motorcycles and, and all things two wheels. So we've gotten some first reports out, and according to South Dakota health officials, uh, in the last two weeks since the end of the rally, South Dakota has counted 3,819 new cases uh, just in those past two weeks, uh, and that's up to um, it's up from 644 cases that were reported in the two weeks prior to the rally, and also uh, they've recorded seven people who have died from COVID uh, as a result of attending the rally. Uh, one of the difficulties is that you know because of the massive amount of people and the widespread radius of travel that people do who go to this rally year after year. I mean, they they come from, you know, East Coast, West Coast, North border and South border uh, to attend uh, this rally every year. And, you know, just where in the local county where the rally was held, um, and it's called Meade County, 330 new cases were reported in the last two weeks, up from 20 reported in the two weeks before the rally. And, you know, that's a a 1,550% increase uh, on top of the statewide increase, which is is, uh, over or or just around 600% uh, increase just in two weeks. So, you know, we, we stated at the time when we reported about the rally being started that we would need to wait and see what the outcome was going to be and we're starting to see that. Now, something to keep in mind is these numbers being reported are just for South Dakota. Uh, we, we will have to keep an eye out to see if there are any spikes uh, in, or surges detected in COVID-19 in other states. Um, and again, that's gonna be difficult uh, due to the lack of uh, tracing and you know, the widespread attendance of the rally 
but it is not unlikely that we will see cases uh, take some surges in areas, particularly in the surrounding states like North Dakota, uh, Wisconsin, and so forth. Uh, but you know, as as far and wide as you know, California, uh, the West Coast, and the East Coast, uh, you know, from Maine to Florida and from Oregon to uh, the southern tip of California. So, you know, it, it uh, again, half a million people, very, very, very few people uh, wearing masks, um, no determination on how many of the attendees were vaccinated, um, but, you know, it's, it's likely that not many of them were. And it has, you know, health officials rightly uh, concerned. You know, South Dakota, uh, is among the, the lowest in terms of the per capita rate, um, you know, in, is at the bottom half of the country. But this sudden increase uh, is definitely going to impact that number. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and let you know uh, what happens. And, you know, if we start to see some surges in other areas. Uh, but again, you know, it, it should be noted that after the 2020 rally and you know there were reported of you know surges in at least 25 other states so you know this is not just a localized event and the impact is not just going to be a localized uh result so we'll keep you posted uh as always and uh we'll move on to our next story here, uh, more of a true political nature. And in uh, last week's episode, I talked about uh, reports that are starting to come out from the 2020 census. And in particular, I made mention of the impacts that uh, the population shifts could have as the state legislators start dealing with the issue of redistricting uh, for congressional appointments or congressional seats uh, in their states. Well, we're starting to see um, information coming out of the census report that's talking about that, uh, particularly because we have now seen a release of what is called the block level data from the census, which is a more detailed look at where the U.S. population has grown and shrunk over the past 10 years. And, you know, while because of their control over so many of the, the legislatures in the country, the Republicans are largely setting terms for redistricting, uh, the data shows and, and, and provides, you know, a, something of a lifeline to Democrats. And, you know, it, it is, it's interesting to note um, the article that I found came from 538 uh, politics, and it was released on the 25th of August. Uh, and it talks about uh, the shift is not because of the country's increasing racial diversity. Uh, sure, under current electoral coalitions where white voters are more likely to vote Republican and voters of color are more likely to vote Democratic, it's arguably better for Democrats if the non-white population grows. But even in a country where only 58% of the residents are non-Hispanic white, the 2020 presidential election was still, it was very competitive. So the, the good news for Democrats, and, and again, according to the article, 
uh, came in as we get details on what part of the country or which parts of the country gained and lost population since the 2010 census. Uh, so, you know, the, the overall increase in the United States population was about 7.4%. Um, however, rural areas, which are the politically reddest parts of the country, they have steadily lost residents over the last 10 years. The average county uh, urbanization index um, that 538 uses to track, uh, which is an index below 81, lost 3.1% of its population between 2010 and 2020. And you know, of that, uh, that description, 1,430 of the most rural counties in America, 1,302 of which voted for former President Donald Trump, and only 127 of which voted for President Biden. And by contrast, the article continues, the fastest growing parts of the country are the suburbs. The average county with an urbanization uh, index between uh, 11 and 13, uh, spanning sparse suburban areas like Roanoke County, Virginia, to dense suburban areas like Union County, New Jersey, grew by 9.6% between 2010 and 2020. Most of these counties, 194 out of 264, voted for Biden. And if the trends of the 2018 and 2020 elections uh, continue, the article projects that they will only get more blue. It talks about how America's cities grew at a healthy rate too, which was something of a surprise compared with pre-census estimates. Uh, the 18 most urban counties in, or county equivalents in the country, uh, again, with an urbanization index above 13, uh, including San Francisco, Philadelphia, four around Washington, D.C., and eight around New York City, grew by an average of 8.4%, and all but one of them voted for Biden in 2020. Uh, so, you know, the, the population shifts which pre-census were talked heavily about favoring Republicans, um, the, the real results that have come out from the data is that you know it is not as as heavy as was projected, um, you know, and that Democrats actually uh, can make some gains uh, depending upon you know how the the re redistricting process is carried out, you know, and you know we've talked about redistricting before. So, you know, it, it, again, it's the, the case where depending on, you know, the, the makeup of the population, the party in power within a state may draw a district that gathers as many of that same, those same party voters as possible into a district, making it a, a lock for future voting in, in favor of that party in power. So, you know, where you know, Republicans may control an area, uh, they will draw a district that will favor them. Um, if a heavily Democratic metropolitan area, for example, is overflowing with people, map drawers need to put them somewhere. And, and again, from the article, which may necessitate creating an extra or, or otherwise blue district for that city, or at least including more blue precincts in a neighboring Republican district than the GOP would like. 
So, you know, there is the, the possibility that, you know, uh, again, there is a finite number of people who are uh, placed into each district, and that is based on the total uh, population of the country divided by 435, which, if I'm not mistaken, was something on the order of 729,000 people per district. Those districts, you know, in, say, rural areas, which uh, voted mostly Republican in the 2020 election, uh, may lose uh, residents uh, requiring that that district would need to be expanded to get to the, the mandated um, number of uh, constituents per district. Uh, this could in turn lead to a, a loss of some districts for Republicans simply from the fact that you know, the, the uh, existing districts need to absorb more people in order to meet the, the federal mandates for reapportionment. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen if the gains that were projected, um, you know, pre, uh, pre-reports coming out of the census will actually hold true uh, and whether or not states that were slated to gain or lose a seat, um, you know, in, in the reapportionment uh, actually do. So it will be interesting to follow up and find out. But um, the article goes into this in quite uh, a bit of detail. And I will post a link to it on the Facebook page so that you can read it. Um, But it gives some examples of districts that will need to expand. um, And those are in those states that lost a seat in reapportionment, like West Virginia. But take a look at New York, which also lost a seat. The districts that will need to expand the most are all in upstate New York, while the four New York City-based districts, uh, the 5th, 8th, 10th, and 12th, will actually need to shed residents. Since those districts are all extremely blue, that will provide map makers with an opportunity to add Democratic votes to nearby districts that might not be as safe, such as the 11th. So the, the bottom line in that scenario is that the the uh, reapportionment efforts in New York, which uh, the legislature is actually Democrat controlled, um, can actually see a strengthening of some purple districts that are adjacent to these uh, city districts that are gaining residents, uh, making them more blue. So, you know, even though um, you know, there may be some additions and subtractions going around. The end result may be a more solidified uh, political structure in the states simply because uh, populations need to be adjusted uh, or counts need to be adjusted of the populations in order to meet the, the mandated guidelines. Um, you know, and the article goes on to say, uh, at the same time, patterns in population growth could blunt Republican gains as well. Uh, And it gives the example of the two most overpopulated current districts in North Carolina, which is gaining a seat, are the Deep Blue Second, which covers Raleigh, and the 12th, which covers Charlotte. Republicans are in charge of the redistricting in North Carolina, but they would have to engage in some complicated gerrymandering gymnastics 
if they want to uh, blunt the political power of these metro areas. Uh, similarly, the Cook Political Report's Dave Wasserman has estimated that explosive population growth in urban areas like Austin could limit Texas Republicans to a map where Republicans had the advantage in only 25 of the state's now 38 districts, whereas previously they may have been able to draw 27 Republican-leaning seats. So, you know, the, the, the map and makeup of the Congress uh, will continue to shift and change as the population counts, you know, are normalized out and the districts are redrawn. Now, in related news, uh, there are legislative efforts going through at the federal level, which will, if, if able to be enacted before the deadline for submitting the final uh, district maps uh, occurs, um, and that legislation will strip the, the state political parties of the absolute ability to draw districts and instead move it to you know, bipartisan commissions that will more equitably draw the districts, perhaps based on pure population sizes within a given area. Uh, and you know, we talked about this and we've covered this in prior shows. Uh, basically, it's the difference between going, you know, snaking your way through the state and gathering up enough uh, Republicans to make up a Republican district to a, a more geographically centered approach that would actually capture everybody living within, you know, for example, an X, X mile radius of a certain point uh, in the state, uh, which could lead to you know, many more purple districts and perhaps uh, more blue districts, you know, in, in addition to perhaps solidifying solid red or solid blue districts as it goes along. So, uh, again, this is something, you know, we're going to keep an eye on and keep track of. Uh, we will let you know as more information comes out. Uh, I will also post a link to the census.gov uh, website on the Facebook page. So you can go into the census data, uh, go into the reports, and look and see for yourself what's going to happen in your particular area of the country based on the outcome of the census. Uh, it, it, it's always an interesting exercise to see the redistricting effort uh, happen, and uh, hopefully you know, it will work out to the advantage of the country uh, more so than to the advantage of one party over the other. Uh, you know, and, and maybe that's kind of a pipe dream. I don't know, but, you know, we, we can be optimistically hopeful. But to be real, let, let's not forget that, you know, we have the obligation uh, and our call to action is to make sure that we are doing the fact-finding, that we are digging wider, digging deeper, that we're getting information from as many sources as possible, uh, not just uh, one source or the other based on, on political ideology, uh, so that we have the truth and we know and can make an educated and informed uh, decision and, and so forth. So, you know, I, as I said, I will post the links on the website, uh, but if you don't want to wait that long, uh, you can go to www.census.gov and click on the link for reporting. And you know, there are a, a growing number of reports that are coming out from the census data. 
uh, and you know you can find a wealth of information on a wide range of subjects there so you know I encourage you to do that um, and uh, lastly I want to also follow up on a subject that I talked about last week and that was this uh, concept of something called the great silent majority and if you tuned into the show last week or if you go to the archive site at soundcloud.com you can check out and and hear what I what I talked about uh, the silent majority Uh, in in a nutshell basically it's it's those individuals who you know sat out the election in 2020 And as I reported last week, roughly 93 million people who were eligible to vote uh, did not vote. Either they didn't register or they were registered but did not vote in the election. And, you know, that blends into some information that I've given out periodically here on this show, talking about uh, the political makeup of this country in in some general terms. the, the data shows that in early 2020, uh, Republicans made up 27% of the uh, eligible voting population, or about 41.3 million people. Uh, Democrats made up 27% as well, about 41.3 million people. So Republican and Democrat uh, pure political votes were split. The largest segment of the voting population was uh, combined under independents, and they were 45% of the uh, registered voters uh, in the country, and that was 68.9 million. So, you know, if you look at those numbers, you can kind of get an intuitive idea as to where the final vote totals for. Uh, former President Trump and for current President Joe Biden came from. Now, you know, that is an interesting statistic because it shows that the the real voting power uh, does not lie with either the Democrats or the Republicans. Uh, In terms of pure numbers, it's independence. However, you can then see the effect of the Republican control of the state legislatures uh, through the, the uh, apportionment efforts and gerrymandering of districts, how the Republicans uh, have an outsized amount of control for, you know, relative to the percentage of the population they are. You know, they are, you know, essentially 50% of the Senate they are, you know, uh, I believe close to 49% of the House. And, you know, they control an, an overwhelming majority of state legislatures throughout the country. Yet, you know, they're no more populous in the country than Democrats are. So, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, there, there is some game playing going on. And we've talked about this, I don't know how many times on this show. Uh, in terms of, you know, redistricting and gerrymandering, voter suppression, uh, voter disenfranchisement. And, you know, looking at those numbers and looking at the numbers that voted uh, can give you the insight into how this actually affects the political outcome in this country. 
Uh, and, that, and that speaks to a couple of things which we've also advocated on this show uh, on many occasions. Uh, number one, um, I am a firm believer that two parties are, are not enough in this current environment uh, to get anything done. And, you know, I really don't have to make a, a large argument to support that, uh, that proposition, do I? Uh, one needs only look at the gridlock that has occurred in the House and the Senate at, in Washington over the last, you know, 25 or 30 years to see the effects of that. Uh, you know, a, a third party uh, would, you know, substantially change the, the scope of how, uh, how work gets done in Washington, D.C. If, you know, there was a viable third party that just had a, a swing vote uh, presence in the House and Senate. And what do I mean by that? If a third party controlled, um, you know, 12 to 14 seats in the Senate and, you know, 45 or 50 seats in the House, um, in order for any legislation to get done, uh, there would need to be a, a three-party conversation held. Uh, it would be the opportunity for the voices of the American people to weigh in with much more authority and effect than they do now. Uh, it could potentially limit the influence of lobbyists and you know, dark money. Uh, the, the benefits could be many from having you know, more than just two parties. Uh, will that happen uh, over time? Yes, it probably will. Uh, I, I think the groundwork is being laid with uh, who has been elected into the federal um, power structure over the last three or four uh, presidential cycles to say that eventually we will get there. Um, you know, will we get there soon enough to impact what's going on now? Not likely. Um, you know, this is, and, and again, I've, I've mentioned this on the show many times, um, politics is a long game. Uh, it is best played when you have a long-term strategy in place and a mechanism that follows that strategy and tactics that support that strategy over a long period of time. Uh, the Republicans have been very good at this in terms of their Southern strategy. Uh, again, another subject that's near and dear to the conversation here on Fired Up. Uh, and, you know, it, it is something that we need to be aware of and that we need to make our voices heard and our votes felt in order to keep producing the change that we want to see in this country. So that, that's, our, that's our other call to action. And, you know, if, if you disagree with me or you want to have a debate or discussion about it, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, check out the links on the Facebook page. Uh, there will be links there not only to, uh, to the email site, but also to the archive site where you can go back and listen to what I have said about these subjects uh, over the months and, and over the course of the show. So, you know, take advantage, get informed, uh, make sure that you're acting on the most uh, relevant information you can find from as many sources as you can find. So that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Please, uh, for you folks down on the Gulf Coast, uh, please, uh, you know, hope everything turned out well 
uh, as as could be expected uh, from you know a Category Four hurricane running through town. Um, I hope everybody is all right. Uh, please take the opportunity if you have it to get vaccinated, uh, be protected, follow the guidance, uh, keep yourselves and your family, your community safe from COVID. And as always, I appreciate your listening to the show, and I look forward to speaking with every one of you again in seven days. message wherever you stand calling every woman calling every man we're the generation we can't afford to wait the future started yesterday and we're already late